Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Today on Truth and Movies, Terence Malick returns with the sublime and spiritual Second World War drama A Hidden Life. What's happened to our country? We're killing innocent people, raiding other countries, preying on the weak. If our leaders, if they're evil, what does one do? Then, Charlize Theron, Nicole Kidman and Margot Robbie declare war on Fox News in bombshell. Fox News star Gretchen Carlson dropped a major bombshell today. What is she doing? This could kill Fox News. We need everyone on Team Roger. Get it on. Put it on. These are the end times. And in Film Club, it's back to Malik for his Oscar-winning 1978 masterpiece, Days of Heaven. You know what I thought when I first saw you? I thought if only I could touch her, that everything would be all right. Three people whose destinies joined briefly in a dream. But how long could it last? All coming up in Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Hello, movie truthers. It's Michael Leader here, sitting in the host chair, sitting across this week from David Jenkins. Hey there. And Rogan Graham. Hiya. How are we doing this week? David, we have some big news from the Threat Lies Towers, don't we? Since the last episode, we've announced the new issue. Yes, and I think this it seems like an appropriate time to, to, to mention it, really, seeing as, seeing as what we're covering this week. But A Hidden Life by Terence Malick is, in fact, our, our latest uh, cover film, uh, issue 83. The magazine, this issue, comes with a special double co- double connecting cover with the two characters in the film, you count yourself among the kind of crazy LWL elite crew, then uh, uh, you can buy both and connect them together and, and they create a nice big kind of diptych. Yes. Diptych artwork. Uh, the cover artist was this, was this guy, a guy called Niall Grant. Um, and yeah, in the issue, we're kind of... It's it, like I'm basically a Malik super fan mm. and, and um, The Tree of Life was the film. I, I, as I may have mentioned on a past pod, because I think we did Tree of Life as a film club, but the the... The Tree of Life was a film that really kind of was a moment for me, a bit of a bit of a kind of epiphany. I wasn't, I wouldn't have described myself as as the kind of biggest Malick fan on the basis of like the films he made between Badlands and and New World, and um, although, although I like them, um, and uh, and yeah, this I think I've wanted to do a Malick cover for for like you know ever since that film, or mm. you know for this entire decade, but you know for whatever reason he has taken a bit more of an experimental bent in his uh, in his output films like song to song and voyage of voyage of time didn't even get a release here for instance 
like make connecting them up to to releases has just been impossible. So um, sometimes I haven't even been able to like include reviews in the magazine because they've come out so last minute and mm. in in you know barely any venues. So. Um, but yeah, um, so this 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 issue is about hidden life, but it's also a kind of uh, ode to Terence Malick and his uh, and his work. And it's you know it's not like it's basically uh, you know for for readers maybe worried about it's like you know going on on and on about how great he is. It's more of a kind of uh, objective critical look at his at his films rather than a kind of full bore loving because um, because obviously these new films aren't to all tastes mm-hmm. but i think maybe this new one is something that could maybe bring in, bring back some of the some of the some of the people who have lost faith ah and this podcast is our own sort of ode to terence malick of course we're talking about a hidden life but then in film club at the end of the show we'll be talking about days of heaven indeed one of those films in that area where you weren't such a super fan perhaps indeed there's there's in the issue we've actually got these really um, i i i'm i'm just like stunned by them but the, we got like these 10 little essays each on it's like it's a kind of like dossier on all the films or a symposium whatever you want to call it but each individual film has its own mini essay and we we kind of focus on a specific aspect on it about each film and i think when you kind of read them all together you just get this really i think beautiful portrait of of what he's doing now and what he's done and uh i just think he is like the cat's pajamas <laughs> so t- that old saying <laughs> but before we do dive into Terence Malick and this week's new releases we have an, uh, an email about one of the films we talked about in the last episode Rogan have you had a chance to see 1917 yet? I haven't seen it yet no <clears throat> well I don't know if this email will convince you to go and see it but this is from Anthony and Alicante he says, I went to see 1917 last night and was very much looking forward to it, as I find the two world wars fascinating periods in history, and films about them are generally worthy of comment and discussion, even at their least meritous. But my overriding impression, having watched the film, is that it's beautifully shot and looks fantastic, something we've come to expect from Roger Deakins. But I did feel that it's hamstrung by some very wooden dialogue and actually pretty sixth form am dram delivery on the part of the actor who played Blake. Some of the parts I found a bit mawkish and cliched, especially the scene with the French woman and the baby. However, it's definitely filmed with its heart in the right place, and I'd even be willing to give it a second chance to see if I was being unfair in my assessment the first time around. Anthony, thank you for your email. We actually have another film about the Second World War, well, about the World Wars coming up this week. That's A Hidden Life, uh, which we'll talk about now. Uh, but it, listeners, if you do watch any of the films that we talk about and want to send in some feedback that we can read out, you can do so at the usual channel at Truth and Movies on Twitter, truthandmovies at tcolondon.com via email, or at the comments page at lwlies.com slash podcast. Now, let's kick off with this week's big movie, A Hidden Life. The latest from visionary writer-director Terence Malick, A Hidden Life is the story of an unsung hero who refused to fight for the Nazis in the Second World War. When an Austrian peasant farmer is faced with the threat of execution for treason, it is unwavering faith and his love for his wife and children that keeps his spirit alive. What's happened to our country? We're killing innocent people, raiding other countries, preying on the weak. If our leaders... If they're evil, what does one do? You have a duty to the fatherland. The church tells you so. You cannot say no to your race and your hope. You are a traitor.
a short clip from A Hidden Life there. So, David Jenkins, Terence Malick superfan, could you put this film in context, what we can expect from A Hidden Life? Well, I would say the... I mean, when you describe Terence Malick in your little kind of preamble blurb there, you described him as visionary director, and that's obviously, like, a thing that crops up on a lot of film posters these days. Like Zack Snyder and J.J. Abrams, right? Exactly, exactly. And I would say that he is probably one of a a very, very, very small, tiny coterie of filmmakers who actually is deserving of the name um, because I think what he's doing is actually you know it is visionary in that it is looking beyond the the conventional and he is trying to kind of tell stories in a, in a completely new and different way the evolution of that voice it, we, we've kind of been able to sort of chart it over the last decade and with a the, the previous film he made song to song was maybe the kind of probably the most experimental in that it was the most fractured and the least linear and the least narrative driven and I think what what a hidden life does is maybe pulls back a little bit and I think harks back to films like Thin Red Line and um New World a little bit more um in that it tells a, a linear story of of friends and Fanny Yegaseta the farmers living this extremely idyllic rural mountain life in in the uh, in the, in this sort of little village of St Radigand um for the first kind of hour of the film they in it in the background you kind of see the the sort of rumblings of war and the rise of hitler and conscriptions increasing and people in the village being called upon and celebrating the fact that they are going to be fighting for the fatherland and it's this kind of creeping stranglehold of the nazis as they uh, essentially force france to join the army or or fight for the nazis in some aspect even if it's just as a as a hospital porter where he's kind of you know keep keeping his hands keeping his powder dry to to some extent and yet franz played by august deal you know he can't accept giving himself over to to in the name of of, of what he sees as 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 as, as evil and the, his wife fanny played by valerie packner um amazing amazing performance from both of them is um they they have this kind of very elemental love and uh the film is is a kind of conversation like about morals and ethics and 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 and, and what it means to have a connection to your country and i think it's it's really kind of in some aspect trying to sort of like ask not just the big questions but the biggest questions about you know is there a god and if there was what would he look like um how 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 would we see him? How would he talk to us? And there, there are there are sort of passages in the rest in the in the end of this film where you genuinely believe that there is like some kind of like divine presence who is who is um, who is there, or like maybe maybe not as a sort of physical being, but like y- you kind of understand that it's kind of the idea of light and darkness and and physical you know the the physicality of the world and nature, and it's kind of. This is this is going to sound really like weird, but like trying to sort of define God as as, as this kind of abstract concept, mm-hmm. and it's something that he I think he's he he's been doing a lot in his films, and it kind of connects it to this later run of 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 of, of, of work. I was really kind of like blown away by it on the first viewing, and then the second viewing, it, it kind of totally got me again, and uh, I'll hopefully watch it again uh, soon. Um, Spoken like a true believer, mm-hmm. there, David Rogan. Are, are you? Faithful to the Malik cause? 
don't you know don't uh, don't be please offend me <laughs> no not at all um i i was saying to michael before actually we started so i saw days of heaven like when i was a lot younger because when i was getting into film i went by actor so i watched pretty woman and i thought <laughs> i know and i thought okay Amazing. i'll just go back richard gear sure so i saw days of heaven and i remember loving it at the time but not quite knowing why or, or understanding just sort of knowing how to articulate it and then rewatched it for film club and then i'd seen tree of life and then i've seen a hidden life and so they're the only three malik films i've actually seen and i think they just from days of life then for me jumping to tree of life i can just see the overlap with the kind of orb-like god-like camera just kind of peering in um on these lives and yeah I found it I thought Hidden Life was really beautiful and really moving and I loved now of course it's about Nazis but you you can kind of apply it to any it isn't too heavy-handed there isn't there's no extreme kind of violence or brutality it's he trusts that you know what they're up against and you understand because we we already know you don't need to kind of bang this sort of war drum that a lot of uh, movies tend to do I think um, but yeah no I loved it I thought it was, it was really beautiful and the performances were so moving their love I, I think of it personally just as a love story she would kind of love a love a, a dead man than love a fascist and he would rather be a dead man <laughs> than lose her love kind of thing that's what it feels like without kind of saying it as explicitly as that and um, yeah no but now I'm a bit worried because I know his film sort of between a true <laughs> true of life and hidden life are uh, a lot more contentious I think and I don't want to ruin it for myself <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm quite open that I'm relatively allergic to late Malik um, particularly many of the maybe we, we could unpack some of the stylistic kind of d- d- distinctive qualities that he has in these later films which you can see in his earlier films as well but come really to the fore in the last four, four films where it's he uses pretty much one lens for the entire film that this wide lens that allows the camera to just be moving through space and follow these actors as they twirl around or fall in heather or jump into hay as they do in a very beautiful scene in this in this film the hidden life but then he also shoots a lot and often finds the film in the edit room and then maybe sometimes picks up or does extra shoot shoots later down the line which means that often his films take take shape over a long period of time and we we hear these wonderful stories of actors who say they're in the new Terence Malick film and then when the film finally comes out there's no actual trace of them the the famous case being Adrian Brody in the thin red line who thought he was the protagonist and is he even is he in the, he is in the final I think he's cut. In a, yeah I think he's in a small very very small role mm-hmm. and the same Jared Leto as well oh right yeah. and the same goes with Song to Song, which we we knew that Terence Malick was filming at various music festivals and the various musicians who were going to pop up and have major roles in that film. And then you may get a glimpse of Patti Smith in the background of a scene. Or She delivers a monologue in that film, doesn't she? She has one of the best moments, actually. She, there's a scene in it where she has a conversation with Rooney Mara as a kind of maternal figure, and it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's really beautiful. Yeah. Which, for me, I can understand the attraction of how that can be a very organic, a very unique, a very authored approach to these films. But I often find myself 
almost wanting him to go back to what Badlands and Days of Heaven were, which were a little bit more wrestled into a an hour and a half long structure rather than billowing out into um, in, in form. But Hidden Life, as you said, David, does come across as his most linear and most written film for a decade. And that really does work. Could you talk to the sceptics and say why this one is worth jumping on board of if they've watched, say, To the Wonder and they're done with voiceover and twirling and all of the slightly parodic elements of Malick? Um, Well... You know, I think you know some people have like made their mind up on him, and and you know, I th- I, on one, on one hand, I think he he has he has made a, a film that can much more easily connect to a broader audience because of those things that you say talk about before. In that, I guess the let's call them the sort of experimental phase. Mm. There was a there was a very unconventional um, take on on things like character and narrative and 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 and. T- and Linearity and all that kind of stuff. So you, you just, it, it, he didn't really give you much to, you know, they, they were kind of pure psychological studies and they didn't give you much to sort of anchor yourself or you had no idea where the film was going to go next. Mm-hmm. It, it was, they were episodic and like very sort of mo- like inspired by montage rather than narrative. And this one, I think, br- you know, it brings back some of those kind of core base elements like. You know, you you have characters that, and you see them develop over a period of time, and you have a story, and you, ha- you in a way you even have like heroes and antagonists as mm. well. So um, even though, as, as Rogan says, you don't really s- see the Nazis. I mean, mm. you see there's there's a few bits of newsreel which kind of are, are there purely for context, um, but but more than that, it's yeah, there isn't there isn't much, but it has it it, it is this kind of slow burn story where of a character over a period of time mm-hmm. and i think that that the that those other films are sort of taking ra- like almost like picking out random chunks of time from a person's life whereas this is the story of when, from when Jan Jan's Jaeger uh, Franz Jaegersetter went from you know having a, a wonderful life to to basically I'm trying to <laughs> try not to spoil it here, but like taking his, uh, you know, ha- having to become a conscientious, conscientious objector mm-hmm. in, in 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 Nazi Germany, so and being t- torn apart from his wife and how she reacted to it as well. So there is like a conventional story there, but that's not to say that he, he that, that that it's not stealthily bringing in these other aspects mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of of like spirituality. And I think I think one of the other things as well that. Often, the yeah, I'm going to call them the haters. That <laughs> <laughs> they feel that they've been preached at by him. That that, right. that he is like a god boy, and uh, he, you know, he is. Uh, his films are about how we should embrace God and Christianity or some kind of like faith, and that that should be kind of an aspect that drives us in life, and. Um, that that his films are like didactic mm-hmm. and and I and you know I just absolutely have never thought that and never seen that um and I think that they're more about a curiosity and trying to to define or present what that means what what it means to be to be faithful or to have some kind of guiding light in that that is only seen by you in the in your life and I mean if anything I think these these films are showing different types of of like things that people see that or in their in their own in perhaps in their own mind that that the camera can't see and he's trying to like it's like I'm going to try and see it if that isn't like 
the height of ambition as a filmmaker, then I don't know what is really. And I think this film is the perfect context for that. And I responded to that so much better in this film, maybe because of the context of release of this film. If you thought that 1917 was shorn of context of what war, the real big questions behind war, and you thought Jojo Rabbit might have been flippant and sentimental, this film really asks the big questions about being a person in a country where war is breaking out mm. or you're being... You know, due to an alliance between two countries brought into war. And I'd put this alongside First Reformed and Silence of these great old blokes of New Hollywood who are wrestling with their faith and spiritualism with a lifetime's worth of film craft behind them. Absolutely. Um, and yes, so I, I, they, they didn't fully convert me, the, this film, but I took much more from it than I have in, in the past. Um, let's wrap this up, though. Of course, there's a whole magazine about the film and Malik that we can go and read but um, Rogan I'll come to you first what scores would you give this and any final comments on A Hidden Life but the scores would be in anticipation enjoyment in retrospect I think I'd give it a three in anticipation just because I, I didn't know much about it but I was like yeah I liked Terence Malik before would it have been a film that you'd have maybe gone to see not seen obviously off your own steam because I mean it's, it's, a, it's also it's three hours so it's yeah. a yeah. considerable Probably, because uh, I was thinking as I was watching it and then you mentioned Silence, I went to see Silence like two or three times okay. in the cinema. And then and then as I was watching it, I saw it at home and I was like, I'm going to have to seek it out. So I, I did, I, I'd say enjoyment, I don't want to say five because uh, uh, that's like really high. <laughs> that's, you know, but I did really enjoy it, so I give it a four and then I think a four mm-hmm. in retrospect as well. Um, yeah, it was so moving. And I don't think, I can't think of a reason to tell someone not to watch it. You know, just go, just go, just, just, just sit and watch it and you'll get, you'll get something. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. It also has the, is it the, the, the final performance from the great Bruno Gantz in it, doesn't it? So yeah, yeah. That's more than enough reasons to go and see this And film. Michael Nyquist. Oh, of course, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Two, two of the actors died prior to release. Yeah. Mm. What scores, did you review this for the mag for the No, no, no. Um, so I would uh, I would thoroughly recommend people pick up the magazine to read my uh, august and esteemed colleague uh, Sophie Monks Kaufman, uh-huh. who's who's written at length on the film, and it's uh, um, better than I could ever ever do. So uh, I absolutely think you should uh, pick, if 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 only for that review, pick pick up the magazine. Um, yeah, it's it you know it's predictable, but it's like you know it's one for me it's one of the best films of the year. Well, I was I was a little I mean a lot of people are talking about. Oscar snubs and whatnot, and you know, I think when this when this premiered at Cannes, it was picked up by Fox. I think there was a feeling that oh, this could you know, if not go the distance, then at least be in the mix. And it's just you know, it's just been you know scattered by the wayside. And 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 it, my, the the cynical dark heart of me thinks that all the all the chips have been placed on on Jojo Rabbit mm. at the expense mm. of this. And I think that makes me hate Jojo Rabbit even more <laughs> <laughs> so what scores would you give oh, well, if you reviewed it fives okay oh, of course I mean I think I've given every film since The Tree of Life <laughs> <laughs> and and I and you know we'll, we'll continue doing so I mean so just, just a fi- final bit of, of Goss that he he is currently in the process of making a film about the life of Jesus <laughs> starring Mark Rylance so you know as Jesus bring it on or I'm not sure who who is playing Jesus 
Uh, Who would you cast Mark Rylance in in the Jesus story? That's a good. That's a, that's a good he would question. make. A, I think he would be a good Jesus, though. Yeah, definitely. From Bing to Jesus, <laughs> <laughs> I think scores wise for me, this is going to be one of those rare rising scores where mm-hmm. I think you know, I, I will watch a Malik film because it feels like you know required viewing at this point, but I'm not you know jumping at the opportunity so probably probably two three four this is one that i'm looking forward to watching again hopefully if i can get the chance to see it in the cinema uh, that would be fantastic and yes if that does it sounds like if this is the perfect marriage of spiritualism and film actually doing a jesus movie would be even better right so who knows how that will pan well out. let's see i mean you know he, i think he's he's his films have been about like that aspect of, of spirituality but in like different context mm-hmm. so actually bringing it bringing it back home i mean this could be you know this he, he's getting on a bit now this you know this could be his last movie and you know would seem would seem to be the, an apt sign off and that was a hidden life in cinemas this week let us know what you think if you do have a chance to see it up next we have an oscar hopeful bombshell The latest from the visionary director of Austin Powers' The Spy Who Shagged Me, Bombshell is a revealing look inside the most powerful and controversial media empire of all time, Fox News, and the explosive story of the women who brought down the infamous man who founded it. Someone has to speak up. Someone has to get mad. Fox News star Gretchen Carlson dropped a major bombshell today. What is she doing? This could kill Fox News. We need everyone on Team Roger. Get it on. Put it on. These are the end times. You do understand I have to be above this, right? You know the entire country is talking about your period right now. So you're A short clip from the trailer for Bombshell there. So Charlize Theron and Margot Robbie both got their Oscar nominations mm-hmm. for lead actress and supporting actress, respectively. Is that well-deserved, Rogan? Um, I found Charlize Theron in this film terrifying. <laughs> yes. She had, like, kind of dead shark eyes for a lot of it. Um, I understand why she got the nomination, because she has prosthetics on and it's a real person. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense that, that, that they were nominated, but I'm not sure. If, if to go back to that point that. about yeah. ter- being terrified, it's true, really. Yeah. it took. It's, it's one of those films where maybe you've seen the poster, maybe you've seen the trailer. I hadn't seen the trailer, I had seen the poster, but because in the poster they, it's almost like a news anchor lineup where you have Nicole Kidman, Margot Robbie and, and Charlize Theron, and you only see maybe half their faces because they're doing that lineup type shot. I didn't know Charlize Theron was Megyn Kelly in the this film and it took me maybe two scenes to really clock that it was her because she's putting on that monotonous voice that's almost maybe half an octave lower than she naturally speaks mm. and she is I can't really figure out what prosthetics she's got on her face this is we should say the next film from the guy who brought you Winston Churchill in the darkest hour um, and you know Kazuhiro who is uh, mm. you know, he used to be a a, a great makeup artist and in genre cinema and now it seems that he's the guy that makes Oscar bait come to life as we see also with John Lithgow who needs to be seen to be believed as Roger Ailes but Rogan you said that you didn't really know this this story beforehand did this film do a good job of telling that story for someone who maybe doesn't know Fox News doesn't know Megyn Kelly etc in term, yeah, in terms of now I know what happened. Mm-hmm. Lots of women who worked there put up with abuse from mm-hmm. him, um, sort of out of fear uh, for ruining their careers. And then Nicole Kidman's character decided that she wouldn't tolerate it anymore. And then Murdoch turfed, what's his name? Roger, Roger Ailes. Roger Ailes out. Like you kind of, you, you learn that that much. Um, but I'm not sure if you needed a... Um, 
it needed to be a film. That's a really good question. Yeah. And I f- did think that as this was going on you can see almost the the pitch meeting behind it we've mm. got we've got the darkest hour makeup guy that's your best makeup and hair oscar in the bag we've got you know i mean jay roach we're joking saying he's the austin powers guy but he has made a lot of TV. he's the trumbo guy he, he made trumbo but then he also mm. has done a lot of sort of tv true life political dramas but he clearly wants to level up and become adam mckay he wants to do a vice mm. or a big short on this and mm. there is a the first half hour of the film has a lot of fourth wall breaking narration mm-hmm. people stopping the action and explaining things about fox news and also margot robbie who turns up in adam mckay films but it doesn't sustain that energy throughout does it no it picks up a little bit when there's a kind of bizarre almost in memoriam like segment uh, that's like a sort of black slideshow of women who've accused mm. uh roger ailes and that was uh, that was just really strange actually mm-hmm. the way that was done and I don't know I just didn't understand any of the kind of choices that were made it was it was like th- there's no such thing as like a perfect victim of when it comes to to anything especially sexual harassment by kind of it glossed over a lot of just how dangerous Fox News is and the words a lot of these women sort of spewed on air I'd like just really glossed over it so that you maybe would feel more sympathy for them and then in the end you don't know why the film's made because you don't know who it's for. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be for people who are the above Fox News jokes or constantly picked on by them and it's not going to be for the women who didn't support Gretchen Carlson and Megyn Kelly initially when the story broke. So then what was the point? It. it it doesn't it doesn't it just doesn't really and it makes sense like it was it just seems like a hot uh topic that they just were like oh well, we should probably do this you know it'll make some money it's of the it's of the time and mm-hmm. uh yeah it's not done very well or, yeah, yeah. Well, the rush to make a me too movie yeah and may- maybe there's some intrigue in oh we can make a me too movie about the the right the the, the mm. of the right wing the cons- mm. conservatism which is Fox News mm. but in the process it does come very close to valorizing the great journalists of yeah. Fox News there's even a character that uh, must be another fictional character that's played by Kate McKinnon yeah. who yeah. is actually the journalists at Fox News uh, are lefties and snowflakes and have Hillary Clinton posters on the walls at bed at home yeah. maybe they're not as bad as we think they are yeah exactly it's like picking fun at them while also you know not picking too much we still respect them to some degree it just can't make up its mind like you know when Margot Robbie's character delivers the line she says something like "Um, I'm an evangelical millennial there's no place for me anywhere or like something along those lines Mm -hmm. Uh, and then she goes home with Kate McKinnon's character and discovers that she's closeted uh, Kate McKinnon's character's closeted at work and yeah and she has this Hillary Clinton poster I think what were you like what are you getting at here that like these people who kind of support this like institution are all sort of in denial and it it, so it doesn't really matter what they do and like the whole idea of complicity like you could have made quite an interesting film maybe about how willing people are to forgive things until they until they directly affect Mm -hmm. them but you, he doesn't Mm -hmm. that isn't (laughs) it's a very scattershot film as as well there's this sort of Pyrrhic victory at the end mm. where Roger Ailes is ousted but it's made very clear that this is just 
new boss same as the old boss because Fox mm. is now pivoting to hard Trump support and Trump mm. you know we all know now how that story ends mm. uh, but it, it sort of flubs that as well you think that's something that maybe in, in all of his sort of flippant comedy politics you know Adam McKay probably could have pulled off mm. that actually we, we've we've killed Grand Moff Tarkin but the Emperor is coming in for Empire Strikes Back up next yeah. Yeah, even I'm trying to. I'm thinking towards the end of the film when it's the the kind of the Murdoch sons, the brothers, mm-hmm. who uh, sort of have. It's like they have it in for Roger Ailes, and that, so they get rid of him in the end. And, and we kind of we know what the Murdochs represent, but they're the the good guys who kicked out the sex offender. And you're like, how does? Why is that the kind of the narrative we're going with? It just—it was very. Conf- it was just so confused. It's quite. It's quite hard to find yeah. uh, m- much, <laughs> much to enjoy in this film. Really, yeah. one thing I did enjoy um, is seeing some very big performances from from supporting actors here. Mm. I think Alison Janney turns up as Roger Ailes' yeah. attorney in a couple of scenes, and she's adopting an incredible accent, whatever she's going for. And then all the way through, you know that Murdoch's going to show up at some point, and. It's Malcolm McDowell, which I think is almost... He doesn't even need prosthetics, really. He just shows up with a very bad Australian accent, and that's it. He looks like one of those one of those dogs that have got too, like, too much skin on their face. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they are. I don't, I'm not a dog man. So, yeah. <laughs> but are you, are you a bombshell man? Uh, no. Um, <laughs> it was a sort of like a film that was kind of, you know, started, and I was thinking, this is, this is quite nice, and then it just sort of ended. And I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, no. It, it's as you say, it has all these kind of over-the-top performances, and it's just—it's just a very strange film about, as Rogan says, like trying to, I guess, sort of split this idea of like you know, even conservatives can can have a bad time, you know. And uh, there's that weird scene in the supermarket where Gretchen oh, yeah. um, Carlson, played by um, Nicole Kidman is is confronted by a a woman who it has a go at her for her lawsuit against Roger Rails, and she you know they have they have this argument about I can't remember what it is she says actually she um, says um, Gretchen Carlson says something like how how you treat people who disagree with you says everything about you or says everything yeah. about your character or something like that yeah something like but, that but the subtext being yeah. benign acceptance is better than actually like yeah. standing your ground yeah. um, especially in in these matters that it just if it, it just felt very icky um, it felt like they had an idea for a film but not an actual film like mm. um uh, I, I, I'm really like down on all like I, I thought the performances were all very hammy and mm-hmm. they, they were very kind of mannered and I just you know seeing a film about that's in a way kind of valorizes aspects of Fox News which has now become like almost a kind of North Korean state sponsored um, news channel now in which you know Trump pipes it pipes in and his own propaganda through through that through their anchors is just like you know is that not the story here you know it's like you know what 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 did this what did these events give way to um yeah i mean it felt it feels very similar to trumbo in a way i mean right. there was you know it's that that film as well it was like a potentially interesting bigger thematic story about oppression and suppression and you know a clash of ideologies and you know that film being about the mccarthyism and witch hunts and whatnot but i just think jay roach in the, in making these films doesn't really I think he he is more interested in these almost like Wikipedia-esque, like, and then, and then, and then, and then, sort of bringing in the characters, making sure you've got, like, 
Richard Kind as Rudy Giuliani for like a second. <laughs> it's like, and then ma- making sure he's hitting all these touch points and getting all these people in at the expense of like a drama mm-hmm. of something of saying of a statement of making some kind of provocative statement about anything. Yeah. It's just it's very kind of oh here's a bunch of stuff that happened and take from it what you will it strikes me as a film that didn't have a draft script it had a draft for your consideration page uh, really mm. and it's and that, and congratulations it's worked. it got all yeah. those nom- it got those nominations that it was aiming for uh, what scores would you give this rogan D- anticipation probably a, a two mm-hmm. just because i do like the cast but I, I don't know they're not like it's not like top of my list to see a film about them especially the subject matter and then watching it probably again a two mm-hmm. Yeah, again, I like I liked Margot Robbie's performance, and I think her phone call towards the end with Kate McKinnon, um, I found that like really affecting. But I mean, it's the part of the film that didn't happen. Like, so it just show points to again how it was just completely just confused. It's very confused. And then again, a two mm-hmm. in retrospect, just because you don't really learn much from it that you can't you can't read on Wikipedia, mm-hmm. and it's not very interesting, or it doesn't really say say anything mm-hmm. yeah which I think is the worst thing because I don't hate it either. I just don't yeah <laughs> I agree two's across the board yeah. for me David what do you think yeah same I, I maybe even a one at the, at the end there just because I, I the, the in retrospect score is like oh man this this film I think I think it has not done very well at the box office mm. mm-hmm. but obviously it's now got this awards boost which will maybe bump it up a bit I'm just sort of depressed and I think Vice the Adam McKay film from last year didn't do particularly well even though um, Christian Bell ended up getting an Oscar nomination I think but these films are kind of like I think I've just I've just got this terrible vision of them being the kind of Oscar filler for like the next decade Mm. we're going to have some kind of real life film about some awful right wing conservative aimed at a liberal audience to kind of like you know smirk at and and pro and and then probably like dismiss quite swiftly at the expense of like actually amazing films that like Hidden Life, Uncut Gems that have just been you know poo pooed and um, they don't fit into this kind of here is an actor he, he, they are doing a performance mm-hmm. kind of template that the Academy seem to cleave to. I'm not that bitter about the Academy. I don't really care that yeah. much to be honest. But you know, it seems it seems like a the the time to be talking about these things, really. So thought experiment for listeners. Five years time, ten years time, we're gonna have the Weinstein movie. Yes. Kazuhiro can be in on makeup and prosthetics. Who's gonna go for that best actor play? Oh I'm God. not going to put you two on the spot, don't worry. Listeners Let's think of, we can yeah. think about it while we're talking about Days time, of Heaven. Yes. But listeners, let us know if you have any suggestions. Maybe we can pass it on to these actors, agents. Let us know at Truth and Movies on Twitter, Truth and Movies at TCOLondon.com via email or at the comments section at com slash podcast. Up next, Film Club, back to Malik for Days of Heaven. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So it's back to 1978 now for Terence Malick's Days of Heaven, the only film of his to win an Oscar to date, in which Richard Gere stars as a hot-tempered farm labourer who convinces the woman he loves to marry their rich but dying boss so they can have a claim to his fortune. Before we chat about it, let's hear a clip. Days of Heaven, the story of a man who had nothing. The woman who loved him. You're crazy. (laughs) and the man who would give her everything for a share of that love you know what I thought when I first saw you I thought if only I could touch her that everything would be alright three people whose destinies joined briefly in a dream but how long could it last a little bit of Days of Heaven's trailer there. So, Rogan, I want to hear, what did your teenage self think of this film after watching Pretty Woman? I was I was surprised. I don't know. I didn't know what I'd got myself in for. But I remember... Did you, can I ask, did you yeah. also do a Julia Roberts yes. run as well? Mystic Pizza is one of my ah. favourite films. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did, yeah. But yeah, no, Days of Heaven. So I just remember, I mean, I'm a London girl sort of through and through, and I think I remember seeing, thinking to myself, like... I've never been so interested in cornfields before. <laughs> just, I just love, I just love looking at his films. Just watch, even I feel like a, I just can get absorbed without actually worrying about the performance. Not that the perform, the performances were great, and uh, and I found the story interesting, but I, I was just so enraptured in how the film looks. Mm. That's what I remember of it. And then on rewatch, I became more invested yeah the first time I did I didn't really watch for Richard Gere I realized well I, I found it through Richard Gere and then mm-hmm. I sort of forgot about him because I came swept up in the in the did yeah, you have a bit of a Sam Shepard run there a Sam Shepard run I didn't actually <laughs> no I should I feel like I should have done I'm missing out on something yeah that, uh, that is a tough choice to make between Sam Shepard and Richard Gere, Gere both <laughs> both at the height of their gorgeous powers <laughs> in this film yeah, angular kind of uh, sexy sexy phase yeah exactly who would you have gone for David Hmm. If I was Brooke Adam, <laughs> yes. I've got to put myself into the mind. Mm, tough call. Um, th- I, this is probably the Ma- this is probably the Malik film I've seen the most because right. it's the sh- it's the shortest. Mm. Um, and um, but I think the reason I've seen it the most is because there's a little kind of bugbear I have with it, and it's a bugbear that I don't have with his later stuff because they're not so narrative driven. But this film is based on a very sp- specific plot point where you have. Richard Gere is an iron worker who, and, and in the beginning, there is this kind of, you know, you see he has this altercation with his boss and 
whack him over the head with a lead pipe and scarpers. We don't know if he's killed him or, you know, looks looks like he has, but he scarpers with Brooke Adams and, and, and Linda Mans. His, his, their that? siblings, Linda Manson, Richard Gere, yeah, and his uh, but, but then Brooke Adams is posing as Richard Gere's yeah. sister. Exactly. So even though they're lovers, it, yeah. Um, and there is this line about, oh, yeah, we we, we told them we were brother and sister because it's easier, mm-hmm. and that she was our daughter. Um, oh, sorry, sorry, she, she was a, a sister as well, and. It's that kind of status. Is that is that you know them presenting themselves as brother and sister is what allows um, Sam Shepard's character to basically, but mm. think he can court Brooke Adam, and I've never really been able to sort of work out why they decide to do that because the the whole film is based on this on this kind of little white lie they tell mm-hmm. that is for me for me doesn't seem that necessary. I mean, I've 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 talked to I talked to loads of people about this, and like you know, people say that it's like oh, it would be it would have been easier for them, or you know, it was just you know, it would have looked bad for them to have been lovers out of wedlock and have what looks like a, a daughter. So yeah, it's just been this very weird little niggling thing, which has, has maybe dulled my appreciation of the film ever so slightly because it happens at the beginning. It does hang over the film and it's something that I'm kind of conscious of and thinking about as I'm sort of drinking in all these extraordinary scenes you Mm -hmm. know like absolutely like jaw dropping staggering I mean I think that if you were to pick out your top five of all of all the best cinematography winners this would probably be in that top five and it might even win it to be Mm -hmm. honest because I mean it is really like jaw drops to the floor and then sort of through the floor kind of levels (laughs) yeah the cinematography um, Nestor Al- Al- Almendros, who did lots of like, uh, interestingly, did loads of like Eric Roma films, uh, for the, the, a great French director, but in a completely different style. I mean, it, it, those films were very kind of subtle, small, quite a lot of handheld camera, not a lot of framing. This is like, you know, beautiful, pictorial, almost kind of painterly style that he's, that he's using here and the, the light and the shadow and the and you can you can basically see the weather in this film mm-hmm. which is like you know we, again something something that Malik does a lot which in his in his kind of quest to sort of visualize the spiritual the spiritual world I think it's interesting you talk about storytelling David because Malik has that ha, had a weird reputation before this as a great screenwriter. He came up as a script doctor. He did some behind the scenes rewrites on Dirty Harry of all films, and Badlands is held up as like one, you know, one of the great kind of runaway um, crime films of of, of the early seventies of the New Hollywood period. And this is the first film, I guess, that he did what he would do later, which is find the film in the shoot and the edit. He did have a script, but he threw he was he shooting the it. script and hated it and threw it out, and. And I think that's something that Richard Gere is maybe struggling with. And you can see that some actors maybe are a bit more up for that than others. Linda Manns being the absolute revelation in this film, right? She didn't really do much else after this. She pops up in, is it Gummo? And that's... Yeah, she, she, so just a quick thing on Linda Mance. There's a whole essay in our new issue mm. on Linda Mance, which you should definitely read. But he eventually came, came around to having her do the narration of the film by sh- showing her the film and getting her to, to describe what she was seeing. So it was, ve- it was, it was a kind of right. improvised narration and she was doing it so amazingly well and in this, in this kind of naturally poetic and slightly off-kilter way that it just worked perfectly for the film. Mance heads would definitely definitely be up for 
be worth seeking out the film Out of the Blue, a Dennis of Hopper Of course, film, yes, I have seen that film, yeah. Where she plays like a kind of young teen rebel punk kid and she is just like off the charts extraordinary mm-hmm. and it's like one of the great sort of lost classics, I think. Um, um, so yeah, Out of the Blue. And then and then she's had a few bits like she was in she was in the game the the David Fincher right. film for a brief moment and then she was in Gummo as well right. and I don't, I'm not sure she's been in much since but mm-hmm. you know she was like I went off and had a, had a family and yeah. had a normal life but, but I think that gets to the heart of why I maybe prefer these early Malick films to the later ones where he I, I don't want to speculate on whether it is ego or or ter theory or what. There are collaborators on these films that come to the fore more so than Malick and his great vision. You, we've already talked about the cinematography. We've talked. We can talk as much about Ennio Morricone's score or Leo Kotke's amazing guitar work that pops up on the score as well. All in demands as author of this work in a way because she's the voice that unites it all. That becomes less and less because particularly during that experimental period that's that leads from Tree of Life to now, where actors are just people to be cut up and moved around and shaped by the great Malik. Would, would you contend against that, or would you argue with that? So. <coughs> Well, I think you know. So what you're saying is basically Malik is kind of casting himself as God in the in the in, in the later films as a kind of omnipotent you could, you could presence. And um, I, I I think it would be hard to speculate. Really, I think that you know the impression that I get from his his later films is is that most of the films are entirely improvised, and a lot of the di- you know he's using like fragments of dialogue, and he doesn't say action and cut and. You know, he films his rehearsals. So I mean, everything is like. I think it'd be hard to sort of give a hard and fast like these. These are the collaboration films, and these are the kind of Malik hardcore mm. auteur films. Um, but yeah, I, but I, I mean, even not even speculating about how how it works behind the scenes as an as a viewer. I, I come away thinking more about Linda Manns than I necessarily would about the actors in. In, in hidden life, even though they great, give great performances, it is that overarching vision. Maybe I don't know, Rogan. Do you have a, a point of view on that? So, do you see something <coughs> different about Days of Heaven compared to a Hidden Life? Yeah, no, I do. I do ag- agree with what you mean, actually. Or I th- yeah, I think I, I think I do. Um, do yeah, <laughs> I can. I can watch Days of Heaven. I mean, like, obviously, I initially didn't watch it as a Terence Malick film. I watched it as a Richard Gere film. <laughs> um, right. But uh, I. I can I can look at it. I feel like I can watch it more independently, and I don't necessarily have to consider his work. Whereas I feel like I can't watch Tree of Life. I I have to think about okay, so what is he trying to do mm. as a whole? So I kind of know what you mean in terms of more collaborative work versus more sort of yeah. Having I'm seen sure. these three films, almost the extreme like the extremes know, of yeah, his I've career, gone, yeah. would you be willing to dig deeper? Yeah, I definitely would. I am like a bit song to song I just have a friend who like hates it so viciously that I'm like oh no um, but no I think I will I, do, I think I'm gonna make it like I've got like my little list for the year of like I'm gonna okay. go deeper with and I think Malice which would you recommend I would it? say I would say the To the Wonder irks a lot of people because mm-hmm. that's got that's got the most twirling in it um, <laughs> but the film that I think brought some people back and, and, and people liked a bit more was Night of Cups okay um, the, the the Christian Bale one where he's like weirdly a, a Hollywood comedy writer. <laughs> the joke is you never you, you, there's there's no jokes or no humour and you never see him writing or you never see him being funny in the entire film. <laughs> um, but yeah, that that that's one that is kind of one of the sort of easier ones to digest. I think. Yeah. 
I think Malick's like Kubrick. There's somebody who says every single one of their films is their best. Yeah. So you'll find somebody who really goes hard for the new world mm-hmm. out there. There's, there's, a, there's a small community of them. Then the, the Badlands stands all the way through. And Tree of, Tree of Life's probably now the, the kind of 2001, the one that most people probably mm-hmm. think is, is the one. Well, that was his blockbuster, wasn't it? I guess, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, after after people being absolutely petrified of not having any idea what to do with it for a long, long time, <laughs> that's one of the key films where, like, it winning a major festival prize was, like, a great thing for it. It at least seemed to have an obvious impact on what people thought about it and the kind of, oh, I need to see this film mm-hmm. now to have an opinion on it. So many directions, listeners, you can yes. go there from Days of Heaven and Hidden Life if you do go down the Terence Malick rabbit hole let us know what you think at the usual channels next week we have a new release from Armando Iannucci it's the personal history of David Copperfield we have Queen and Slim and then for Film Club we have The Holy Mountain from 1973 any words on The Holy Mountain gang? Uh, you know what I've never seen The Holy Mountain Wow! I've only seen El Topo I haven't seen The Holy Mountain either. I've seen El Topo. This is Alejandro Jodorowsky. Yeah, I think I've seen all, I've seen Santa Sangre and I've seen his like two newer films, but never partaken in The Holy Mountain. I hear it's quite a trip. Let us know what you think about Alejandro Jodorowsky, listeners at the usual channels. Until then, David Rogan, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I'm Michael Eder, and as always, this has been a 7 Digital production. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.